0: Good evening, Internet. Welcome to Episode 8 of This Heretical Life. I am Brian Thomas, and as always, I am joined by my much handsomer-sounding co-host and brother-in-law, Adam Leggett. Hey, everybody. So, Episode 8 is a little delayed. little delayed. Uh, That's because we we had already recorded Episode 8, and then we had... uh, It was weird. We recorded it, um, but... My audio was what 10 minutes longer or shorter than your audio?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, we, we missed some stuff in the middle
0: somewhere. Was not good. Yeah, it was not good. Uh, Adam tried valiantly to save it to preserve it. Alas, it was too far gone, too far gone to be preserved. And thus, it was sent to the trash heap of podcast And we are back to try again. Um, A little, a little belatedly, um, because life happens. Um, Both of us. I have had law exams and appellate briefs to write, and Adam has had cars die on him, and he (laughs) had to buy more cars from people who were dying. (laughs) It's been an adventurous, an adventurous bit since we last recorded. So, But we're back. We're going to try this whole Episode 8 thing again. Um, And uh, we've actually got kind of a two-part episode. Um, We'll be carrying the same theme, the same topic over this episode and next as we talk about uh, just war theory and pacifism, which I'm really excited to talk about because I know, Adam, you and I probably agree uh, on... This is something that we both look at and we, and we probably would agree on the principle and the idea, but we might vary a little bit in how uh, we think it would be like ideally carried out. So this is a good topic as we kind of move away from the introductory phase of the podcast into topics in which our, you know, our, our traditions, uh, you Catholic, me Orthodox, start to differ a little bit. And, and hopefully people can start to see, that, um, you know, although there's a lot of similarities between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and our respective journeys to each of them, uh, there are some differences, and those differences are not insignificant. For sure. For sure. So, just war theory is actually—I don't know if it's called just war theory, but uh, but the tenets of just war theory are actually in uh, the Catholic um, catechesis. Uh, am I correct on that? Nope. yep, yep you would be correct. Yeah. So uh, what we're going to do, there are eight kind of points of just war theory. Uh, The first four kind of having to do with how and when you would enter into war, Mm. and the second four having to do with how you should conduct yourself uh, during an ongoing war. So we're going to talk about the first four on episode eight, and then episode nine, we will talk about the second four. And all this is very uh, providentially timed because we've decided <laughs> that episode 10 is going to be our first throwdown episode where uh, we will begin the episode probably by saying how much we how much affection we have for each other and how much respect we have for the other. And then we're going to spend the episode still trying still respectfully um, kind of arguing because we really haven't argued, even when we've disagreed, we haven't argued at all on this podcast. Um, Yeah, And and for
1: the vast majority of the time, we don't, we don't want to, I mean, this is, this is one of those things. We both come from very different um, traditions than where we've ended up. We understand that uh, lots of times it's, it it is really easy to put words into other people's mouths or to accuse people of thinking things that they don't really. So taking the approach of uh, respect and asking genuine questions rather than accusing is is far more helpful and healthy but but there are there are differences right and and at the you know so at the same time of us saying we want to be respectful we also believe that uh you know truth is truth and we believe different things on some key issues about what that truth is and so uh, there there are times when you need to be able to sit down with a friend or uh, and and just say, hey, look, I, I you know we've talked about this, and this is I disagree with you. Yeah. This is why. Yeah. And and just mm-hmm. be able to to say those things out loud. And I, I really think we've, you know, we're we're tempted in our culture to go to one extreme or the other, right? We either oh, we're yeah. tempted to yeah. go to one, the extreme of, just you know, in one hundred and forty characters or less, you know, yell at people and uh, you know, just be ugly and rude, or the other on the other extreme is just. Well, you know, it's 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 basically um, more theological relativism. Just well, everybody's just as equally right, you know. There's no way to know truth, and you you know, and so we just kind of we we can fall into the danger of either extreme, and we want to try to to straddle that as best as we can. Yeah, because there's
0: yeah, there's so much to be gained, uh, and, and to me you're so generally you're so much improved through a respectful measured um, disagreement with someone. Hmm. Um, You don't grow by nodding your head in agreement with somebody, whether or not you agree with them. Um, You don't grow by, by screaming at people via social media or, you know, uh, in person, but you do grow by sitting down. And as I think we can both, Test, uh, given our uh, our experiences over the past two or more years, um, being exposed to other worldviews and other ideas besides the ones that you've been raised with or maybe hold dearly is a is a way that you grow and that you transform and that you mm-hmm. to use a a word that we typically didn't use growing up that you evolve you know sure. obviously not into another species <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you still evolve. So yeah, but I'm still, I am looking forward to episode 10 where we'll kind of throw down a little bit, um, but still uh, still in good fun, you know, because sure. uh, we've done that in person sometimes uh, and we've, we've gotten after each other a little bit uh, in person, but never to the degree that one of us hated the other one or, or even, you know, got mad. I, I, I mean, I've never gotten mad at you. You might've gotten mad at me. <laughs> um, it's very possible because uh, I, I can have that effect on people. No,
1: not not up to this point. We're doing
0: good. Not to this point. Not to this point. All right. Well, just war theory. Let's talk about just war theory, so we know the rules of the game before we go at each other in a couple episodes. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned, these are in the Catholic uh, catechesis, and we're going to kind of take turns. Adam's going to kind of present the first four, and I'll kind of engage in, in dialogue, ask some questions, make some observations, and then we will switch roles on the next episode, and I'll present the second floor, and Adam will kind of play the uh, devil's advocate slash interviewer role. So uh, when we started recording this, our previous attempt, uh, these first four took us about uh, an hour to talk through. So I'm really looking forward to kind of revisiting that conversation, um, and and hopefully we'll have as engaging a dialogue as we did last time we attempted this. So if you don't mind, Adam, why don't you start off by presenting the first one?
1: Uh, Okay, for sure. Um, if, if it's okay, um, it, it might be helpful. and as Thomas Aquinas and Saint. Augustine both try to make this point early on in their dialogues in their conversations and their writings about war. Uh, and there's this underlying idea or argument that that maybe maybe war is never just. Maybe it's never right, right to go, into battle to take the life of another human being for any cause whatsoever. Um, you know that, that, and that tends to be something that is starting even the Catholic Church to pop up more and more. Uh, this idea that uh, maybe maybe we've gotten to a point in our culture in our society where uh, it's not necessary or it's not required or that it, it can never be morally right for us to do. Uh, in, in the world in which we live now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't want to put words into St. Augustine's mouth or to Thomas Aquinas' mouth, uh, but I, I feel like some of their arguments that we're pissing to get into in these principles uh, make the point pretty clearly that because moral truth does not change, right? We can't say today that something's immoral. If God said two thousand years ago that it was, does that make sense? So, so, so we can't say
0: today that's okay. Yeah, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I follow you.
1: Yeah. So, if if someone were to come along and say, "Well, war is never justified. It can't be," right? Which there are some people, even in the Catholic Church, that would argue that. Um, I would. I would argue. Well, if. If it's morally wrong today, then it had to have been morally wrong in the past, right? When the saints were writing about it, or even God in the Old Testament commanded it, right? Then they were in. They if it's morally wrong now, then that necessitates that they were in sin in the Old Testament, or that you know, um, even. Christians in the New Testament that were soldiers that Paul talked to or when John the Baptist, this is a verse that St. Augustine references, uh, that Thomas Aquinas references. There's this passage in Luke where people are coming up to John the Baptist and they're repenting of their sins and they're asking him what's required of us, right, in order to Mm -hmm. repent. And he turns to some of the soldiers and he says... um, and He said to them, "Do violence to no man, right? Neither culminate, yeah. either, e- neither culminate any man, but be content with your pay." Now it says there do violence to no man." Some people would say, "Well, obviously it means that you're not supposed to kill people. Uh, but, the, but then he goes on to say, and be content with your pay, right? Like, don't quit being a soldier, just be content. In, in the context of what we know about Roman soldiers acted sometimes, yeah, uh, and what we know about that area in history, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas are, are trying to make the point that soldiers would oftentimes abuse their power. They would um, uh, they would use excessive force, they would you know pillage and rape without cause. They're, I mean all those different types of things. And so he tells them, don't do that. You know, don't, don't be, don't do violence. Don't uh, seek the harm of people. Again, Augustine and Aquinas would argue, this is what John the Baptist was trying to say. Don't, don't do, seek excessive force, which we'll talk about that in a minute when it comes to the rules of war or just, just war. Uh, but he never told them to quit being a soldier. And what is the job of a soldier?
0: It's to. Uh, generally speaking, it is war. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So speaking general,
1: yeah. yeah, and and John the Baptist is preaching a baptism of repentance, right? Turning away from sin. So he says, in order to do this, he doesn't tell them, "Well, you have to quit being a soldier because being a soldier is inherently evil." He just says that there are ways of, that you're supposed to go about being a soldier in order to please God with your life. So that's that's the yeah. that's the main that's the main argument that Augustine and Aquinas are trying to make that if John the Baptist uh, was saying that being a soldier or going to war, warring, was a sin, then he would have told them to quit being a soldier. But because he didn't, that means that it wasn't necessarily sinful to be a soldier or to do the job of a soldier, simply that there were rules that they needed to follow while being a soldier. Does that make sense? That might have been overly convoluted and confusing.
0: I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense. I um, now I mean we haven't really mentioned uh at all like where we each sort of individually stand on war and just war. For sure, uh, I I've been mostly a just war theorist. Um, I am progressively uh, more pacifistic. I am not a I'm not a full on pacifist yet because I can't, uh, and I don't know that I'll, that'll ever be one. Uh, I would I would definitely be somebody who um, argues for um, pacifism in most circumstances for sure. Um, but I, I don't think I'll ever like cross the Rubicon or whatever into full full blown pacifism. Um, sure.
1: Yeah, I'm, and I'm not I'm not trying to argue that um, I, I, I may not be doing such a great job. Uh, however, well, you just
0: said that they would pillage and rape without cause. As like as opposed to the other times when they do it with cause, um, I, I know. I mean, I know what you're saying. What you're not saying that that was just funny. Sure. And you kept on talking, so I didn't get a chance to poke fun at you earlier. But
1: um,
0: <laughs> just like generally speaking, those things are never with cause. <clears throat> for,
1: for sure. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah. My my point my point is simply that Saint Augustine and Thomas Aquinas tried to make it clear that because God's word never condemns war across the board, right? Like there are are rules Mm -hmm. that God gives his people for how to go about it. And even those are controversial uh, in our day and age, but he never condemns it. God even commands it at times. Um, And even in the New Testament, John the Baptist doesn't tell them to give up their swords or their profession of soldiers he simply gives them rules to follow while being soldiers Mm -hmm. and even paul later on when he's talking to soldiers tells them to be obedient to their masters right like this isn't something where he's saying okay quit doing this he simply says do it well and and yeah yeah and yeah. so that, that's the, I guess that's the main point I'm, I'm trying to make that the, the Catholic, the traditional Catholic perspective, uh, doesn't really, it, it starts from the presupposition that war can be just. So I, yeah. some, and, and that there, that there are rules to follow in order for it to be just, but that you can't say that war, that there's no possibility for war to be just. And some people would yeah. try to make that argument that, that war is never the solution, you should never take up arms, you should never kill another human being for any reason, Um, so on and so forth. And Augustine and Thomas Aquinas kind of right at the get-go of their arguments kind of cut that at the knees and say, well, if you're right, then that means God was wrong. If you're right to say that war is never justified or that killing another human being is never... um, Okay, in God's eyes, for you to do, then you're saying that God was wrong and John the Baptist was wrong. In the scriptures, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and we don't we don't work from that assumption as as Catholics, right. or we shouldn't. I don't think as Christians, we you, you can't say God is wrong to do anything, right? Because He's God. Um yeah, it's so kind of it's, a deal breaker, right? For sure. So, so I, I just wanted to get that kind of out there that that we're not really dealing with the issue of whether or not war can be just. Does that make sense? We're, we're dealing with, okay, we're, we're, we're coming at it from the assumption that it most definitely can be just because God allowed it and commanded it. And in the new Testament, it's allowed. Um, and so what we're dealing with here is how are we supposed to pursue justice in war? Not that, not, not, yeah. can it be just, but how is it just, uh, and I, I don't know, maybe yeah. that, maybe that was super wordy to try to kind of work through that, but I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that's an, that's another argument that, yeah, like, time. it's like, it's I, yeah. like a whole other layer deeper.
0: It is, it is for sure. And, and I'm actually, um, I think that's, that is like another, another layer Uh, uh, you know uh, of the onion because there's a lot of what you said that I this is this is exactly one of those situations that I was talking about earlier at the beginning of the podcast sort of previewing our eventual throwdown episode where there's a lot that you say and I'm like I understand what you're saying and I agree with most of it and I definitely agree with the the spirit behind it of who are we as man to question God, you know, to say that it's so backwards to say that we as a society have evolved to a point where God, the God, uh, we as a society in the year 2020, uh, have advanced to a place where we're more moral than God was, you know, at, you know, 2000 BC or something like that.
1: Or or the Uh, saints.
0: Or the saints. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, there's aspects of that, that I, I feel are a little... I guess of the way you presented it that I, I feel are a little, um, I don't know, it's maybe spongy that I kind of want to push like, like that aspect of it. What I just said is, is something that to me is, is rock solid. You, you can't push past, you know, you can't, if you argue something to the point where you're saying, yes, we today are more moral than God used to be or the saints were, then you've gone, you, you've left Christendom and you've gone somewhere else. For sure. Um but at the same time, some of the things, some of the ways you argued that are things that I would push back on if I didn't know that it would mean we would never talk about just war theory <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> um, so we can sure. leave that. We may even, uh, that may even be a great uh, topic for episode 10, just kind of building on this. But because but the, there are other verses too, right? About Paul uh, talking about the, um, you know, um, kind of like, fear the government or respect them because they don't bear the sword in vain, but God has made them a terror uh, unto those who do evil uh, and, you know, ideally a rewarder of those who do good. So there's so many verses, even in the new Testament that just sort of portray the sword, uh, particularly the sword wielded by um, governments as just ubiquitous in society. You're you're not going to get away from them. In Mm. fact, while you were talking, it kind of reminded me, of the passage where Jesus says, the poor will always be with you. Uh, And I kind of feel like the violence or the sword, uh, particularly as wielded by the government, is kind of presented in a similar way. um, uh, For good, you know, that it's always going to be there. You're in this life, you're not going to get away from the reality of a a sword wielding government, whether it be yours or someone else's or both. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I think that's the, peeling the onion another layer uh, that we'll For have sure. to get into another time. But I definitely agree with you that that's, that's present in the New Testament. Um, and you can't really, it me it's really hard to get away from the fact that God says through scriptures, government's always going to have a sword in its hand. So mm-hmm. when the government wields that sword in the context of war, though the Catholic Church has laid out this um, this structure or this sort of, Set of principles that needs to govern how and when the, the government wields that sword. For sure, uh, and that's that's what is referred to uh, as uh, as the just war doctrine. So um, let's uh, let's start. Do you have any other like preliminary comments? Those, those were those. Were, I thought that was a really good ground uh, kind of ground level to lay down there before we get into it. Uh,
1: no, I think I think that's about it. Okay, um, All
0: right.
1: you know, th- th- I guess maybe the only other thing. Uh, would be that Augustine especially makes the point over and over again that the ultimate goal of any any form of violence is peace, right? Mm-hmm. This is, it is not about, you know, eye for an eye, you know, we're going to, uh, we're doing this for the fun of it or being uh, blood lustful or anything like that. Like the the whole motivation behind all of this is so that, like Paul talked, I think it's Paul, you know, said, we want to live peaceably with all men. Yeah. Right. And and that is that is the goal. That is the objective in all of this. Uh, and because of these rules that are laid out by Augustine and Aquinas and have been adopted and kind of repackaged by the church, uh, you know, war, it, it really is the exception. Like, it, it should be. If, if you're following these rules, the four that we're going to talk about tonight and the four that we're going to deal with next week. Uh, or next episode. It, it's really hard to go to war. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it should be, right? Because this is these are major, major issues. And we're talking about people's lives, and that should never be uh, dealt with lightly. So, rule number one. Uh, the damage inflicted by the aggressor, or the nation, or community of nations, must be lasting, grave, and certain. So, Basically, if Canada decided to tax our products that we're shipping into the country and we decide to go to war with them, that doesn't count because it's not a grave issue. Um, even if maybe, say, a nation does something that... And we, we dealt with this the first time we recorded it. We can talk about it a little bit more in just a second. Um, but it, it has to be lasting. It has to be something that's enduring. It can't be well, they messed up, right, or they did something they shouldn't have done, and then, you know, we were able to find some sort of resolve. It was a one-time offense, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. It has to be grave. It has to be lasting. They have to be persistent in their uh, pursuit of oppression
0: towards, yeah. Yeah.
1: towards us as a nation, right? It can't just be, well, they did it, like I said a minute ago, it can't just be once and done or once, but it wasn't grave, or even if it's in, an enduring, you know, oppression, but it's not a grave issue, that still doesn't count, probably, right? Like it has to be both lasting and grave, and certain. So there's this, there's the, or, or uh, at least reasonably certain or morally certain. So somebody's sending troops to the border, right, and they're fisting to attack. You have the right to defend yourself, right? Mm. It's it's morally or probably certain they've expressed their intent, they've uh, rallied the troops, they're on their way, right? You you have the right to they've declared war, right? They're they're coming at you. Well, you, yeah. you have you have the right to retaliate. It's it's morally certain that something's that they are attacking. They have uh, they have the intention to take life. Uh, you don't have to wait for them to you know kill a thousand of your people or a hundred thousand or to blow up a city before you take action to, to stand in the gap and defend your home.
0: Right. And uh, just like sort of as a precursor, it kind of, you could pick it up from context. Sure. But uh, just like make it explicit. It does say like in the paragraph right before this, these are strict conditions for legitimate defense by military force. So um, it's sort of like embedded in the, the just war theory is, um is is war as a last resort of of defense like you can't Mm -hmm. there really is no just war where you start it (laughs) um sure um i i'm not
1: the catechism doesn't go into the detail on this uh augustine and aquinas would both argue that a nation has the right to intervene in the affairs of another nation, if it's in defense of the weak and the innocent. So say you have uh, a dictator that's committing genocide against his own people, Mm -hmm. right? Both of them would argue that uh, an outside nation would have the right to step in and to war against the military there if that was what was necessary in order to protect the innocent people of of that own you know of that particular nation that are being attacked by their own military does that make yeah. sense yeah yeah so, that's still
0: that's still a defense though even if you're not so, sure defending but it's not, yourself it, you're defending someone else cor-
1: correct I just I thought that I thought that was a distinction worth making like it's yeah no I think so um, it's the defense of of the right right of um, of human life in general right it's yeah uh, yeah it's kind of a um, but also Aquinas and Augustine would argue and they, they would go a step further probably than even the catechism would they would even argue that uh, it's you know it would be the right to let's say um, not just like moral law but divine law so uh, or or if let's say a dictator was forcing his people to... Worship some made up Hmm. god, right? That even that that a Christian nation, right, has the right and the obligation to intervene and protect the Christian population of another nation that's being trying to be forced to to believe something that they don't. Well, that's
0: like that seems. Well, that assumes, I guess, that sort of assumes that. That's sort of like a Holy Roman Empire kind of view, though, For right? Sure. It's like it, it assumes. I, I will. That... I
1: will argue. I will argue, though. This is several hundred years before the Holy Roman Empire. So, like, this is this is Augustine before Constantine, right? Right. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, this is this is before the political aspects of what you know the Holy Roman Empire was. Um, you know might would have affected augustine's view on this he's saying this as as someone who's in the minority as a christian mm-hmm. but but go ahead i just I was, but he,
0: but but even that is like i'm not saying he's anticipating the rise of constantine but he's he's like anticipating a a um oh what's the word he, he's anticipating a a religious government like a government that is yes. explicitly christian there's a word for that i don't remember what it is yes um So that, that sort of, I don't know, that's a wrinkle we kind of don't, we're not really faced with, like in the here and now, because there is no sort of legitimately, uh, there is no like Christian nation in the sense of um, where Christianity, or at least not one that's a great military power. Like America is not a nation where Christianity is the religion of the land and you, you have to be a Christian, you know, Uh, so um, that is interesting though to kind of think about well what does this look like if you're talking about a nation in that sense mm-hmm. um, I mean if in that case um, I don't know like if you flip it one thing I like to do with, you know I think it's helpful to do with theories and stuff like this is, our, is to ask yourself like if our enemies you know or, or if nations we consider our are, are, you know uh, geopolitical enemies or whatever uh, were to follow this pattern, like, would they go to war with us? And I think it's sort of odd um, that uh, Augustine uh, would say, you know, like, uh, intervening to to protect the religious interest of our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ is like a legitimate cause for war when they're being forced to worship uh, another god or being persecuted for not worshiping um, another god like that that sounds it, it doesn't sound too unrelated from uh you know uh war great uh, war against the great american devil or something like that that you hear uh-huh. uh religious extremists um you know of different persuasions of of islam well islam is the only one i can think of um <laughs> uh say that so that's kind of and there's a difference clearly between let's kill these people because they don't worship our God and let's kill these people because, or let's go to war to defend these people um, from those who would force them to worship another God. But
1: Yeah, so one example of this, and, and the more that I study, the more I, I'm, I realize I didn't learn very well what the real history was. But like a, a good example of this might would be uh, the First Crusades. Now, we're not talking about the fourth, you know, because that's a big area of contention, right? Because things just kind of progressed into madness uh, in the fourth. But the first couple of crusades, it it was very much this idea of, okay, there are Christian and Jewish people in the Middle East, and they're being overrun and invaded by Muslims who are killing and raping and pillaging as they go. This is not our nation, and, you know, these—but— and and the and the West felt the need, uh, and even the East, uh, during part of it, felt good the boy, need to yeah. s- to step in and to protect uh, the Christian way of life, the Jewish way of life there in the Middle East. Um, so, again, it, the the whole theolo- the theological law right of Christianity is good and needs to be protected, and and but at the same time the moral law because the Muslims were coming in. And, doing horrible, horrible things, right? So it's kind of like, you, you've got both, but.
0: Uh, I do. I cannot really opine uh, on, if we say, it's because my education on those things does not extend beyond what Ivanhoe and Robin Hood taught me. So.
1: <laughs> I know, I understand. I mean, I'm, I'm just now like finding stuff and reading and trying to figure it all out. And I'm, I'm still confused on some of it. So don't take any of that <laughs> section as gospel, but just, just the idea that, uh they they thought and believed that the protection of Christianity, not just Christian people, was worth going to war for, if that makes sense uh, yeah in their yeah. in their mind, it wasn't just about human life, it was about a way of life, and Aquinas and Augustine would both argue that that's a legitimate reason to go to war.
0: Yeah. I'm nodding. Uh, I'm where, not, say, I'm not saying, I'm not saying
1: that I'm not necessarily saying they're right or yeah. Or well, my not... nodding
0: is, is not an agreeing nodding. It's like yeah. a thinking nodding.
1: Right. Um, so, and, and where does that line in Like, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm just saying that was something interesting I found when I was researching this mm-hmm. uh, and looking at these reasons for war and just causes for it. Um, that was something I noticed that I thought was really interesting that I don't, I don't really think we, I, I don't think I've ever really had to think about or wanted to think about up to this point. Like, Yeah. Um, but, but for them, it wasn't just human life, but the Christian way of life that they saw as God given, right. That was worth yeah. defending. Um, so again, not that human life didn't come into it because people were dying, but it wasn't just that for them. That wasn't the only motivation behind it and uh augustine and aquinas would both have defended both causes both justifications for it uh as being okay. so, yeah huh
0: that that does go It sort of uh, it doesn't really change what you look at as far as the kind of the components of just war theory like sure the first one we talked about but it does really broaden what you it really broadens the scope of legitimate defense for sure um for sure and that's that's another that's a whole another a whole another thing um what like how broad beyond your own immediate physical borders can you look when you're trying to ascertain whether the damage inflicted uh inflicted by the aggressor uh is lasting grave um uh, mm. and certain for sure um, so you know, and I do think what you mentioned earlier uh when we kind of talked about when you mentioned lasting for a second is that this isn't a this isn't a one time this isn't a temporary inconvenience like this has to be a major threat mm. um that is um, projecting into the future like uh, for sure and it can't really even be in this formulation. It can't even be retaliatory like well, Canada. Does this raid south of the border uh, into the U.S. and then swoops back up into Canada? You know, with their ill-gotten Wisconsin cheese or something. <laughs> um, well, you're not permitted. To Definitely, say, no, a they, issue. they took our cheese. <laughs> uh, you know, they took our cheese. We're gonna—I don't know what Canadians have that we would want. We're gonna go round up like a bunch of caribou or something um, and steal back. It has to be a, a defense mounted in the face of a lasting grave mm-hmm. and certain um, you know, uh, harm uh, inflicted by, uh, by the aggressor. Uh, the second one is one that I think is really, really important and one that maybe can be really, really easily overlooked.
1: For sure. Rule number two, all other means of putting an end to it being war. Yeah. must have been shown to be impractical or ineffective. So impractical might mean that you have to, um, it's just ridiculous demands, right? That your yeah. enemy's putting against you. There's no way that you can, there's no way you could do it, right? Like it's just absurd or it's immoral or, you know, what have you, right? Like there's, there's just, it's just impractical. There's not a reasonable way for you to, meet the demands of your oppressor. Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, um, you know, this, this kind of reminds me of what you were just talking about with, with uh, the crusades. And while I neither confirm nor deny uh, the historicity uh, of, of of what you said about the crusades, because I don't know. Um, But like, let's say that the the war could have been avoided if, all the Christian and Jewish citizens uh, of any given city had simply agreed to convert to, to Islam. Well, that would be, even if that had been effective, that would have been something that um, the church or, or Western powers would have found to be completely impractical. For right? sure. Am I yeah. reading that right?
1: No, yeah, you'd be correct. Impractical Um immoral. I mean, both, yeah. right? right? Like I mean, it's just, it's not, Again, it's not a reasonable thing. I would even argue they would. I, I, I'm. I could be wrong here. I would even argue they would say it's impracticable. In <laughs> impracticable, it's very impracticable. Um, if the if the Muslims came in and said, "Okay, all of you have to to leave. Um, you have to give up your home and your possessions, and everybody has to." you know, be a refugee and run away. Yeah. I, 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 They would have argued, they would argue that that is, a, a, I think, impractical.
0: Probably so. Probably um, so. I think there's or, kind
1: of, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, please go.
0: Oh, I just uh, kind of dwelling on the idea of impractical and what that means. I think there's kind of two, two ways in which a thing can be impractical. Um, and, and sometimes it's going to be impractical in both ways, but there's sort of like physically impractical, like, um, I kind of think of like the Magnificent Seven or Bugs Life, which is basically mm-hmm. a Magnificent Seven, but with insects. Yes. Where the only way to prevent this damage inflicted by the aggressor is to give them this impractically large portion or percentage of the crops that they grew and the the uh, production uh, of their labor. Uh, and so while there's not necessarily, I mean, it's still, it's morally wrong to come in and oppress people, but it's not morally wrong uh or morally impractical to to give up of your free production to someone else um but that's like physically impractical like you can't there's not enough hours in the day for you to work to produce what you need and also what this other force over here demands so it's, it's physically impractical but then there's also things that are morally uh impractical like like a mass conversion to another religion to avoid mm-hmm. persecution. That's more. I mean, sure, you could do it uh, physically, um, but morally, it's impractical because that's that's not something as Christians we would say that's not something we're allowed to give uh, sure. to someone else in return for anything. So when, when we look at it impractical, I think it's I think it's important to remember we can look at it in both those ways uh, and not mm-hmm. just one.
1: That's a good point good point uh so in a pra- impractical or ineffective right so mm. we've tried something and it hasn't worked yeah right
0: it's, yeah uh, I, and i think that's pretty straightforward that, yeah pretty straightforward but i also think like important because you can't just say well this is probably going to be ineffective i mean obviously right. if it's there are probably some demands that you could just say, like, "Yeah, that that's going to be ineffective. You know, that's not going to work." Well, but... my,
1: that might fall under the impractical. Yeah. Right? So, really like this, good. this is this is kind of like a pre, it's like consideration for, um, pre-parlay and post, right? Like, the pre consideration is practically, will this? Even, would this? Is this even possible? Or is yeah. this a violation of our moral code or belief mm-hmm. or something? But then the other ones like post discussion or or post attempt, right? To to get peace. Okay, well, was it ineffective? Maybe yeah. it was practical, but we tried it and they just come back and want more, right? Yeah, and more yeah. and more and more. It just didn't it didn't work. They didn't they you know what we tried to do to attain peace. They have just you know they've trampled on and and they've not accepted our terms or our yeah. You know, efforts. Yeah,
0: I think I think that, that that seems like a really helpful paradigm. Like impractical is really pre parlay. You know, you we can't give this up and ineffective is well we try, we gave that up before and it didn't work. So we know right. it's it's ineffective, it's not gonna work again. Yeah. Um, but again I think that's it's so easy well I say it, it seems really easy um, to just jump straight to violence, especially mm. In a day and age when violence can be violence can be instigated and violence can be played out from such a distance, um, and where you can do violence without really putting many or really any people like at immediate risk through drones and through you know uh, remote strikes and and things like that, where <laughs> it just seems it's it's so much easier now to kill someone uh than it used to be <laughs> mm-hmm. on a practical level like morally uh no that shouldn't be anyway um sure. but but just like on a practical level it's just you, know, you just send a drone over there hit a you know drone strike you take care of that problem and you don't have to sit down at a table with them and negotiate for 10 hours yeah um, but to the point where you, you see or at least me I, you know, I see um headlines and stuff of of drone strikes or missile strikes or whatever kind of strikes on you know this place or that place or taking out this um, foreign entity or that foreign entity, uh, even some like really, really bad actors. Um, and just thinking that, that that was just on the one hand, you're like, well, that's, that was really easy. We didn't have to put any, um, you know, any lives, any American lives at risk. The other hand is like that. That's just, that's so easy. that That's, it doesn't seem like it should be that simple uh, or that, going to be a weird word to use but that painless to inflict violence on someone else um i think the easier violence is to inflict the easier it is to skip over that second step of really searching and trying hard to see if there are any other means of putting it to an end Mm -hmm. um before you jump to that kind of thing yeah um which seems to be where just like i guess you know uh thirty thousand foot view of of American foreign policy and the such, um, where it seems to break down. I I, well, I could say it breaks down in a lot of places, I think. But that seems to be one where it's like, all right, you know, we tried this or we think this. Well, let's just go shoot a missile over there and see what happens. Um, um, it, it's just violence to me. Again, this is the guy that leans pretty hard towards pacifism. Um, it, it seems like it's dished out it has been for several administrations um with a with a an ease that is just to me really unsettling
1: yeah well and and we the crazy thing is the last I mean we call it like the war in Iraq or you know the war in Afghanistan or whatever but and all honestly it we have never declared war yeah right yeah. it's just it's it's just I don't want to say taking pot shots, but, um, it doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be clear objectives to what we've been involved in as a mm-hmm. nation over the last, you know, decade, decade I mean, and a
0: half. I mean, two decades, like yeah. Afghanistan's going on two decades now. Yeah. Um, um Iraq too. So.
1: And so it's just kind of like, okay, what's the perp? Like, what, 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 like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. and, and, um, And I think you're right. It's just become so ingrained as, you know, or so easy to just, Oh, well, we can just fix this real quick, but it doesn't get fixed real quick because Mm we, we overvalue our ability and we undervalue the weightiness of people's lives. And so we just keep going and going and going. And there doesn't seem to be any clear objectives or, um, you know, definitive plans to restore peace. It's just kind of this broad, these broad strokes that we take because it's so, like you said, simple and and inconvenient.
0: Convenient. Yeah. That's, I think a good word for it, which that, I mean, all that, all that just kind of leads naturally into the third point of it. I think Mm, the third point is just war theory.
1: Yeah. So rule number three, there must be serious (laughs) prospects of success. Um, So the catechism mentions that, honestly, uh, this is one of the rules that I I get probably more confused on than any of the others in the sense that what do we do if, say, our backs are up against the wall and we really don't think we're going to win, right? Like what if a nation was, was so diminished and so pushed back and so you know, crushed that this is, this is the last stand, right? Yeah. Um, what do you do? Do you just say, okay, well, we can't win now. Let's just give up. And theologians, uh, argue about this. And I've read different articles that argue different things, but the general consensus is that's not what he's talking about. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's not what they're dealing with here. And, and maybe that's obvious to most people, but to me it just seemed it just sounded confusing. okay. Well, serious prospects of success. Uh, basically, from what I understand, this just means that there needs to be, like we were talking about there needs to be clear objectives, there needs to be a definitive plan and it needs to be well there needs to be some, serious hope of a definitive end right like again because peace is the objective peace is the goal and so if you're going through this just for the sake of well any other reason other than peace well then you shouldn't be doing this Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. there has to be hope of an end to all the the death because this is not this is not what it's supposed to be right this is not This is not supposed to be like this. And so, um, you need to have a probable outcome that you can be successful in restoring the peace that you've set out to restore in the first place. And if you don't have hope of that, if you're just going to war for the sake of war or for money or for oil or whatever, you know, any of the things that people have gone to war over in the, over the years, then, um, you know, you're kind of missing the point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I do think it's a natural question uh, to ask, though, because um, the 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 obvious meaning of it, as far as when you get in, when you make the decision to engage in a conflict of this nature, you have to have an end game. You have to know what peace... you have to know what resolution looks like. You have to have a serious kind of path to peace. Um, it can't be retaliatory. It can't be you know for oil or money. Uh, it has to be for, it has to be to limit or prevent the damage inflicted by the aggressor. Hmm. Um, that That's like the obvious plain reading, but I really, I think I, I agree. It does sort of ask the question, how does this also apply? Like, like, does this also apply in like, yeah, at an Alamo situation where mm-hmm. there's just like a handful of you and there's this huge, army amassed outside um is that a a serious prospect of success um i think it probably i think that's a good question uh and even if that's not sort of what he's on the surface talking about i do think it also bears uh i think it's a a question worth asking um Mm -hmm. i think there's differences in um sort of a military outpost standing up against crazy odds and sort of a nation as a whole going on this last ditch yeah. gambit to preserve something. Cause what are you like, what are you trying to preserve? Um, are you trying to preserve your, your people's lives? Well, just like lining all the people you have up, uh, in a row with whatever weapon they can find to make this last ditch, last ditch effort. Um, Is probably not... That doesn't seem... Like, if the damage you're sort of... Invite... That's not the right word. But if you line up everybody, like men, women, and children together, to make this last-ditch effort against the Barbarians, and you lose, well, that is going to be as bad or as worse as would have happened if you had just given up, Right? Like if they kill all of you in battle, then they can't kill any more of you. (laughs) That's the most of you they can kill, (laughs) you know? um, So is that, is that, is that right? Is that the right thing to do? Or if you're, if you kind of know you're going to lose, do you sue for peace and try to preserve as many of your, as your people's lives as you can? Or is it worth kind of going back around to what we were talking about earlier on, uh, on the first point? is your way of life important enough that you, you throw everybody uh, in the line of fire to preserve it?
1: Well, and then you've got, and then you've got these stories, right. Of, uh, maybe a battle or great hero, like, well, for instance, the Alamo, right. That story was used to inspire the soldiers at San Jacinto to go on and, you know, take the Spanish in the rear. Right. Yeah. So, there's this, or or you well, have stories I'm in. Finished. Oh, sorry. Yes, uh, the Mexicans in the rear, or you've got stories in the scriptures about, you know, people overcoming insurmountable odds. Right, where from a human perspective, maybe they should have given up, but yeah, you know, the Lord was on their side, and they they rallied and they, you know, they won because God yeah. gave them the victory. So th- there's a lot about this, I, I guess, in brief there's a lot about this one that as I think more and more about it, it, you know, okay, well, if you take this to its nth degree, what happens in this situation? But, but again, on the surface and in its most practical, it's just this idea. Don't, don't start something that you're, you don't think that you can finish, right? If you think that this is going to be, if you're just doing it, because you can, right? Like there's not a, an end goal. You're not, you know, pursuing a definitive purpose and objective, um, that you really believe that you can accomplish, then you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be going down that path.
0: Yeah. 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 I guess I think that's the very obvious and, and doubtless intended meaning, but it does at the same time raise the question. Um, you know concerning uh, concerning the other as well um cuz you do you do have instances where you know david and goliath kind of uh kind david and goliath type stories are not limited to only david and goliath um you know there are other stories of small bands beating much larger forces i do think it may be well i don't think it may be, i think it is helpful to differentiate um between old testament stories of that um, I say different, to, to not really, I think it's fair to not necessarily include those when you talk about sort of modern war, uh, unless you have a modern war where one side has these very explicit, direct divine instructions. Um, you know, because in the Old Testament, we're looking at um, men like Joshua who are acting under divine instruction to take a holy land, or you're looking at the descendants of those people who were under divine instruction to defend a holy land. And I don't know that that's particularly applicable to modern day conflicts. Like I don't, I don't think you can, you can project that over the Alamo because as far as I know, no one at the Alamo had received uh, orders from God to uh, to protect that. So yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I guess, I guess my point was, was meant to be just a little bit more, I guess a little broader in the sense that there are examples of the underdog who shouldn't have won oh yeah where they won yeah and no, yeah, where, right, right. Or, or where they lost but that their sacrifice motivated the rest of their people to 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 go on and win
0: to go on so and win, yeah
1: there's just i guess that idea yeah. that you know uh, well maybe maybe even if you really don't you know if your backup is against the wall if you're if you're fighting for something bigger and you really mm. believe that even by my death, I can contribute to the ultimate success of our, you know, objectives, mm. then yeah. it's okay.
0: Yeah. And that's like, uh, to just like the Alamo didn't represent the last of the, the Texican movement. Like that True. wasn't all of them. So you do have that aspect of you can lose that battle, but i losing that battle win the war, right. um, so, instances like that, I don't think, because you can't, well, you can't, like, like uh, but good. Well, the, the second four rules of the just war theory talk about how you engage and how you act within the conflict. Mm-hmm. And this, there must be serious prospects of success, is just something you have to take into consideration before you engage in the conflict. So, mm-hmm. sure. um, so in that case, most of what we just talked about doesn't apply, <laughs> uh, yeah. because like the Alamo was was after the conflict had been joined. Um, that's true. But if you are like if you're a small nation that's being, you know, surrounded and being being crushed, you know, I think of sort of like some of the smaller European nations that were trodden to the foot of of the Third Reich under the the, the Nazi advance. Like, mm-hmm. you know, some of them had no. I remember reading World War II history and um, how some of those first battles were these these smaller or, or less advanced nations sort of going out to war against the invading Nazi forces, kind of with the idea of this war is going to be fought like all our other wars. So they were they was like uh, military regalia and they were on horses and and you know and they go out there and just get. Well, not to really pun, but sort of make a pun, they get blitzed mm-hmm. by this Nazi war machine that's unlike anything the world has ever seen at yeah, that point. Sure. So, if you see a couple of your neighbors get steamrolled like that, and it's coming towards you, well, what do you do? Uh, right. Do you kind of sue for peace, kind of like France did in a really uh, you know um, you know squirmy way, um, or do you do like France did in World War One, where they were just renowned for their their courageous stand in the face of insurmountable odds against, uh, against the, the, the Germans and their allies and, in, in world war one. Yeah. Um, so th- that's, I think where this analysis has to be run, not like by Davy Crockett and everybody in the Alamo when they know they're going to lose, sure. but by they're coming, they're not going to be stopped. Look what they did to Poland. They're going to steamroll us. It's like they did them what's what's the best way to respond i think yeah. and then it becomes just become a legitimate question like are we just like throw everybody out there and and resist uh to death or do we do we try to do something that preserves as many of our citizens lives as possible until something like the allies uh show sure. up for sure but uh, but i think it is most applicable today in as far as like these sort of forever wars that we have gotten ourselves Mm -hmm. tangled into as a nation. Yeah. Um, The last one, or this fourth one, is another one that I think is really important. Uh, I think they're all important. There's not any of these I disagree with, Um, but there are some that I think America has not done a super great job abiding by.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm going to be a bit of a rebel here and say that, according to these rules, I mean— you could you could argue that, you know, America should still be under the control of Great Britain. We should never have revolted in the first place. Yeah. I mean I mean that... these, these are really strict rules. Right. This mm-hmm. is not these are not these are not uh, real loose. Yeah. And um, they're they're pretty yeah, they're pretty hard to get around. And um, especially when you deal with uh, especially when you deal with the idea of okay, is the this this last one that we're going to deal with and some of the principles that are involved with this um, did did the pain we endured did it necessitate or or was it greater than the destruction that was brought about by the war itself Hmm. does that make sense yeah so so the fourth rule is the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated now he didn't say the potential of arms like oh well this you know this is capable of this he said the use of it so Hmm. it's not just what is it capable of it's how you use it yeah. The use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. So, so for instance, you know, nuclear warfare at Hiroshima, hmm. um, that produced evils and disorders far graver than the evil that was eliminated, right? Like we're talking about millions. Am I right? Millions. I mean, we're, uh, we're talking about.
0: I, I don't know. It was hundreds of that between the hundreds years, of thousands. I talking, yeah.
1: Hundreds of thousands of innocent lives, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, men, women, children, boys, girls, like that, elderly people that had never done anything to us, right? Um. And so, then the very next sentence that the catechism says is the power of modern means of destruction weighs very heavily in evaluating this condition. Yeah. Right? This this particular one, right? Because they recognize, man, we've come to a place. I just got done reading uh, All's Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the first time, I'd never read it before. And and even then, like you were saying, right, like Germany came out of nowhere with some things that the world had never even imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, And then it's just kind of, it's just kind of exploded since then, right? Yeah. To where now, you know, we've got drones. We don't, we don't ever, we don't have to leave the states, right? There's, there's people in little trailers with, you know, remote controls like you're playing a video game that can fly a drone and, you know, take somebody out from thirty thousand feet.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, now, granted, you know, taking out one terrorist's life, which they're capable of doing, you know killing one person that way. Okay. Well, maybe, but, but when we're talking about mass destruction and Mm -hmm. leveling cities with people still in it and all that kind of stuff, well then, you know, we've got a, and that's what um, it should weigh heavily, (laughs) you know, in evaluating this condition there, there's not a way around it. Largely because of some of the things that you're going to get into in the next episode, the rules of engagements as you know, so to speak, yeah Uh, yeah. we've we've really got to consider this and and let it you know be a part of what we do
0: yeah um and that's just well we'll talk about these next episode but like one of the first ones or if not the first one uh of the next four uh mentions like non-combatants moving soldiers and prisoners must be respected and treated humanely so how can you do that when, like going back to drones, when you're remote attacking people, you you order a drone strike or a missile strike and some will, you know, you, you, you take out the, the guy or the group of persons you're aiming for. But there are other people in the line of fire. I mean, it's not unusual for non-combatants to die in a drone strike. It's not unusual mm-hmm. for them to leave wounded soldiers uh, or wounded combatants behind how can you respect them and treat them humanely when the means by which you're attacking them does not afford you any chance to do that? Sure. Right. Because you're attacking yeah. from such a remote distance that you can't in any way tend to the unintentional collateral damage you cause. Mm-hmm. Well, so I next, mean, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sure.
1: I mean, I think to a certain extent, uh, I mean, maybe if you were dealing in the age of like swords, Um, where you literally had to, you know, be face to face in order to kill somebody. Um, like to certain degrees, I feel like, I mean, this has been an issue since, I mean, since the birth of modern warfare, Yeah. like this idea of, okay, there's the enemy, right. And, and maybe even at times our intention isn't to hurt anybody else, right. Right. But the enemy is killing our people.
0: Mm-hmm. Right,
1: so we've got to shoot back, and we don't want to hurt anybody else. But if there's people there, are are we just are we not supposed to fire because we might hurt somebody, right, um, in the village that the enemy's shooting at us from, uh-huh. right? Or do we, you know, do we just let them keep shooting because we might hurt hurt somebody that's an innocent bystander? And I know that 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 may not be exactly. a a great example in comparison to what you've mentioned already. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying to certain degrees, right? That's why this, that's why they say it weighs heavily on evaluating. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because this is just, it's one of those things that you have to use a lot of prudence and wisdom. And, and at the end of the day, there are going to be moments where you didn't intend to cause the harm that you caused. That, that's why wars can be such it, it, beyond just the fact that people are dying as soldiers right
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're you're affecting the lives of people you don't even you're not even trying to to hurt yeah right sometimes yeah. like it's just it's war is such a messy bloody horrible horrible thing right like this is um and and we we forget that because it's so distant and so far away and we don't have to deal with it right yeah, um, yeah and it's and it's glorified in movies and it's um you know something you can do in video games and there's no consequences and i'm not saying that any of those things are wrong you know, like video games or whatever i'm just saying that it's just become such a normal part of our lives to not have to think about it to not have to yeah. evaluate to not have to let these things weigh heavily on our hearts. Um, but it, but it should, right? Cause yeah. Yeah.
0: It should. And, and, um, the more modernized warfare has become, as you were saying earlier, um, the easier it is to, to ignore the toll of it and, uh, yeah. and the weight of it. Um, which is it's just it's just this sort of catch twenty two. Like on the one hand, it's it's good to be able to defend your nation or defend people without having to put more lives at risk, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's easier to get careless then. it's easier to yeah. stop caring. It's easier to stop to to not think about what you're doing. Uh, it's easier to not care about collateral damage at, at like a high level. Like that's not to say that, you know uh, someone who operates a drone doesn't care uh, if they about the lives that um, are lost or lives that are taken, you know, in their actions, but at a, at a higher up the food chain it's easier for someone to give an order to tell that drone operator to pull the trigger when everything's so far away. Mm -hmm. Um, When, when, like you meant, you don't have to look them in the eye when you, uh, when you do it. And uh, that's just, that's just, um, well, without getting, uh, without sliding too far over to the liberal side that I'm often accused of living in these days. Um, I mean, the, the idea of a modern military industrial complex is, it's a real thing. Um, yeah. you know, um, for, for good or for evil, whatever you want to, how would, however you want to talk about it, it, it exists and by its nature, industrial complexes look to modernize and improve and, and make the things that they produce more effective. Um, and if they can make them more effective so that collateral damage is lessened, that's a good but if they can make it more effective in the sense that collateral damage is ignored and less accounted for in our calculations then it's bad then it's bad, for sure. um, then it's bad. And, and I think that line uh, there, the power of modern means of destruction weighs very heavily in the value in this condition is because it, it's, it's, it's on the one hand it's a very sort of um, it's just sort of a bland line as far as it's just it's very matter of fact, just states it. Mm-hmm. But the more you read it, the more you think about it. Because I've had it sitting here on my screen while we've been talking, the more it's just a very, to me, a very very sobering line. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the less hands on the instruments of war are, um, the easier. Um, the more obvious you see that it is, uh, so the, the more obvious it is that we are very, very capable. And even because of sin, uh, geared to waging war in, in contrast or in conflict with, with the principles of just war. Yeah. Um, so again, that, that, <laughs> the idea of a safe war, <laughs> uh, is kind of like to me, uh, to reestablish my safe, my conservative bona fides is like the idea of a safe abortion. Safe for who? Who Mm. are you talking about? Um, Right. Who are you really talking about when you talk about the safety of this thing? So, yeah. um, Yeah. Well, uh, Um, I'm sorry. You know,
1: yeah, just, I I know I've said this before. I just, I love this quote by Augustine. um, And I I think that it's just, it's kind of a great spirit to have when talking about all this. But he says peace should be the object of your desire war should be waged only as a necessity in order that peace may be obtained therefore even in waging war cherish the spirit of a peacemaker that by conquering those whom you attack you may lead them back to the advantages of peace as violence is used towards him who rebels and resists so mercy is due to the vanquished or captive and um i i think i think that that plays well into what you're going to deal with next week, mm. um, or next episode. But just, you know, he, the, the God we serve, he created a world that, uh, you know, reflected his peace. Yeah. And, and this is not, this is not the end goal that God does not, he doesn't want war, right? He doesn't want this. And so we have to, we have to keep that in mind, right? God right. called us to be peacemakers. Um, as my therapist would say, not peacekeepers, right? Like we don't make compromises in order to keep everybody happy. That's not, that's not what we're supposed to do. Mm. But, but our goal is that God's peace would reign, right? That his yeah. will would be done on yeah. earth as it is in heaven. And, um, and that means that we have to, and you know, we have to consider these things when we're dealing with who we elect into office. Um, you know, and then holding them, holding our leaders accountable. Right. And, and making sure that we, uh, you know, pray in accordance with these, with these guidelines that we ask for God to lead and to guide, you know, that these things might be lived out, uh, in our, in our world, in our nation. Um, cause this, this stuff affects, affects people every day. Like this stuff's going on. It's, it's happening. Yeah. Right. We're, we're, uh, War is being waged justly or otherwise And so we need to We need to be aware of this stuff As, as followers of Christ
0: Very much very much. I think it's a great note to end This episode on um, We'll pick up uh, the next episode uh, Talking about the second Four Principles of the just war theory That really govern how a nation Is to conduct itself uh, Once war is joined And um That's where we'll pick up. We'll cut the preamble short on that episode. And for that same reason, we'll cut the uh, postscript short on this one. Uh, So this is the end of part one. Tune in next week or the week after, however long it takes us to get around to it. And we'll talk, uh, we'll pick up part two, where we talk about the second four principles of Just War Theory. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Thomas. I'm Adam Leggett. And we will see you next time.